Amen. Thank you, Pastor Ryan, for that great special number. Take your Bible, please. Turn to Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, while you're turning there, I'm going to ask this morning that you pay careful attention to the message. I want to preach it in such clarity that no one misunderstands. That's harder than preaching a message to cause you to understand. It's harder to preach that way. And so I'm going to ask for your attention this morning and that you'll listen through to the entire message. I'm going to preach a message on Proverbs 31. He said, Pastor Marty, you're about to preach about women. Well, it's Mother's Day, okay? It's Mother's Day. Now, having said that, let me make this statement. I always think it's unfair if a preacher addresses something for women but doesn't address something for the men. So tonight, men, you need to be here. Okay, no, let me rephrase that. Ladies, you need to make sure your husband is here, okay, tonight, uh, because I'm going to be dealing with these things. Someone a while back suggested to me, and I think the suggestion was good, that I would preach a series. I'm not doing a whole series right now, but that I would preach a series of messages regarding what the Bible says about men and women, okay? If you want human sexuality, because that has become such a tremendous issue in our time. That series may be forthcoming. I'm not prepared with that series. But I think we can cover some basics about Scripture. But understand, please, from the outset of the message that everything I say today will fly directly in the face of our culture. I want you to understand that. In other words, I am aware that what I'm saying is not only not popular, but would be condemned by the culture at large. I'm well aware of that. I'm not afraid to say these things because they're in the Bible, and I think that they need to be said, but we have to decide, are we embracing the world's culture, or are we going to embrace Scripture? Okay, I think we need to embrace Scripture, obviously, and so then we need to look at that. I've also learned this, Every generation needs to learn these things for itself. There, in today's society, because of the confusion that reigns, there are no assumptions to be made anymore. I cannot assume that some of the things that were just normative when I was growing up that nobody would question, no one would think to question, I can't assume that those things are not questions that now <laughs> exist in the minds of young people because of all the different avenues of communication that they're listening to. So we're looking at Proverbs 31. And my concern this morning is this, that in America, we are rapidly witnessing the wholesale destruction of womanhood in our country. Rapidly witnessing this. Now, because of that, I'm going to give you a little bit of history, because you have to have some historical background. I did a lot of research in regard to this matter. But I believe that it is Satan's plan not only to amalgamate the sexes, the gender roles, and the genders themselves, but to obliterate these things altogether. Make no mistake about it, ladies and gentlemen, I I do not think, well, Pastor Monty, the enemy is one side of the aisle or the other. Now, I'm not worried about that. The ultimate enemy who is working overtime to harm us on a personal level and on a church level and on a national level, the overall enemy is Satan. And he has really, really armed himself well on multiple fronts to affect the thinking of our young people. And we have to counter that with the Word of God. We have to give them what the Bible says. Now, it's up to them to accept it or reject it, but we have to give them what the Bible says. So let me do this, though. I need to give a trigger alert, trigger alert here. I firmly believe in something called complementarianism. What is that, Pastor Money? That's a big word. It's simply one word that describes the idea that God, in his purpose of creation, created man for a specific purpose and created woman for specific purposes. In many ways, those purposes are different. Listen carefully. 
They do not compete against one another. They complement one another. In fact, the competition, the sense of competition between male and female, we, we like friendly competition, don't we? But in our society, it's no longer a friendly competition. This false sense of competition between male and female has changed our culture. And it has affected our homes. And it's a very dangerous thing. So complementarianism teaches that in the Bible, in the purpose of God, God gave certain responsibilities to the man and certain responsibilities to the woman, <coughs> to the female. And so I do believe in that without any hesitation at all. If you were to look up the word complementarianism uh, in, uh, on a Google search or something, you would find endless negative results for that. But it is what the Bible teaches. Let me be clear. I cannot be a good man without Kelly. Let me be clear. There is no way in the world. Well, Pastor Monty, you know, you know you, they're single guys. No. Single guys are a mess. Oh, boy. But you know what? God created Adam. And then he looked around. And he hadn't created Eve yet. And he said, it's not good for a man to be alone. Okay, that's my translation is it's a mess for a man to be alone. That means inherent in his creation of man, inherent in that he made a need and a lacking. There is something that I need that I cannot provide for myself that is only provided for in a woman. And this was God's design from the very beginning. So I want to make a couple of observations. So I believe based on complementarianism, which is derived from scripture, I'm using that one big word to describe the scripture's general teaching on the matter. I believe this, number one, that men are different from women, both physically and psychologically. Now listen carefully. I did not say men are better. Did you hear what I said? I did not say men are superior. I said that men are different from women because that's how God designed us to be. There are differences. It should be very, very obvious to all of us that there are differences physically and psychologically. Number two, God has assigned specific roles and responsibilities each to the male and the female. Listen carefully. No one role is superior to the other. They're just different. No one job is better than the other. They are just different. Important for us to understand that. Next one. Men should embrace the masculine role and women should celebrate that. Now listen very carefully. Women who have, a, you've married a guy and he's a good man, he's a good provider. We're going to talk about what makes him good tonight, so show up for tonight. Uh, but he's a good provider, he's a good protector, he's a good presider, that is leader of the home. If you've married someone like that, then celebrate the fact that he's a real man. Tonight we're going to find out that there's a real watering down of manhood. And I'm not talking about the promotion of toxic masculinity. I'm not sure, exactly sure what that is. I'm not talking about that. I don't really think that's a problem in our society. Okay? I think the problem is we don't have enough men who are willing to bear the responsibility, do the hard thing, and do the right thing. So man should embrace the masculine role. Women should celebrate that. And then another point, women should embrace the feminine role and men should celebrate that. In other words, we should celebrate the femininity of our wives. Now there's something I'm going to talk about. I'm going to give you the history of the feminist movement. But there's something I don't understand about it right out of the starting gate. The feminist movement should celebrate femininity. Because it is the feminist movement, right? In other words, the feminist movement should declare 
the glory that it is for a woman to be a woman. And the Bible places a woman on the very highest of pedestals in life and in situation and in her necessity in society. But here's a movement that goes by the term in general, feminist movement, that today, not initially, by the way, not initially, but today wants virtually nothing to do with femininity. And I think, ladies and gentlemen, that is a problem, but we'll get into that in just a moment. So um, embracing both the male and female roles is essential to the home, to happiness, and society. Okay, now, Pastor Ronnie, are you going to give us all the rules of how we ought to conduct our home? No, I'm not. Because that is something you work out between husband and wife. But there should be the general overarching Bible principles. I had a man many years ago come to me and he said, Pastor Monty, from now on I'm going to ask you everything to do in my, in my marriage and I'm going to do exactly what you do. I'm going to do that in my marriage. And I said, don't you dare. You'll be divorced. And he said, he said why? And I said, because I didn't marry your wife. Okay, God has in marriage a man and a woman coming together in his will for marriage and they are different personalities and every couple gets to make decisions as to how they live out the biblical ideal in their marriage okay i cannot set down ground rules for you and expectations for you but what i can say is that generally speaking within the pale of the teaching of scripture a male and female should both embrace their roles that god has given them i also think this that when we reject god-given gender roles, it results in confusion, misery, undermines society, can destroy the home, destroy children, dissolve marriages, and frankly destabilize the country. And I've never seen a day in time when Satan is working overtime more to accomplish this. Now, having said that, feminism as we know it today is not a celebration of femininity, but actually a rejection of femininity. Pastor Mati, how did it all start? Well, sociologists who study these things, and I did a deep dive into this this week, sociologists who study these things, they generally describe the feminist movement in three different waves, W-A-V-E-S, in three different waves. The first one being the mid-1800s to around 1920, and it focused on the legitimate right to vote for women. It was called the women's suffrage movement. How many are familiar with that? Okay. There was a time when women in our country weren't given the right to vote and legitimately that movement changed that. Okay. And, and very important because women are citizens. I understand that in the history of our country, there were times when women were barred for certain, from certain things. That was a very legitimate thing. Uh, in the, ni- the next part of the movement, really they, they range in a little bit, but roughly from the 1960s to 1970s, feminism focused on equal right and opportunity. Now listen carefully. I think people should be paid merit-based. I want every eye up here. Now, if you've got a guy and a lady who are both equally capable and do a good job, they should be paid the same thing. But I believe that all pay, now this flies right in the face of what we've got going on today in our society across the board, that all pay and everything related to promotion and hiring within the workplace should be 100% merit-based. In other words, the person earned it. They qualify not because of their gender, not because of their color, not because of their nationality. They qualify for a position because they have the appropriate degrees to that position. 
They qualify because they have the appropriate skill set. Now, you know, Pastor Ronnie, there'll be just all kinds of unfairness happen. There's a lot of unfairness in the world. I don't, don't know what else to say. But it is inappropriate, in my opinion, to base these things on anything other than personal accomplishment and merit. Because when we do, it's very easy to rest on our laurels about intersectionality. But I've gotten ahead of myself just a little bit. So we believe in that, though. Equal pay for equal work. I don't think anyone would disagree with that in this room. I'm pretty confident about that. We would agree with that. Around 1990, the sociologists tell us that there was a, a third phase of this movement and it was focused on social equality and the women's right to make her own choices, particularly in regard to reproductive rights. It was in the 1990s that this whole thing went off the rail. In other words, abortion on demand, really the, the philosophy started back in the 70s, I understand that, but abortion on demand became a very specific role, a very specific goal of the feminist movement. They then began to emphasize something called intersectionality. You say, Pastor, what is that? Simply, it's the belief that repression is based on social power structures that target particular individuals, whether you're an individual of color or you, you're, you're female, whatever it may be, you're being targeted. That's called intersectionality. They believed in something and promote to this day something called sex positivity. That is the exaltation of sexual pleasure without repression and restraint. And so they scoff at the purity model. The purity model is made fun of when we want people to be pure, to remain pure, men and women, by the way, when we want people to remain pure and should hold themselves for their marriage partner, that is held up to derision today, and that's, that's part of the movement. They also, some of them, engage in something, and I couldn't believe it when I read this, they engage in something and promote something called vegetarian ecofeminism. Number one, that doesn't sound really fun. <laughs> Pastor Monty, what is that? That is the idea of some that we should eradicate all oppression, including both humans and animals. So now animals can no longer be, I know, I know. You say, yeah, I think some of you look at me like, this is crazy. Okay, well, forget your chicken dinner this afternoon. <laughs> Interestingly enough, in our day and time, and it's only been in recent years that the movement has embraced transgenderism. I need you to listen carefully to what I'm saying. Pastor Monty, well, you know, we're against that. Okay, but, but understand this. Initially, the feminist movement rejected transgenderism because that meant a woman was going to attempt to become, at least physically to some degree, a man. And this seemed like a repudiation of the whole concept of feminism, like this woman who's becoming a man is now abandoning ship. And so early on when this became an issue, there was great argumentation and great pushback by the leading feminists, but now they have embraced this because they have broadened their definition of oppressed groups to include everyone on any level. And so now the feminist movement promotes the concept of transgenderism and everything else that is coming down the pike. Um, they are very politically and socially active and they desire to eliminate what they call power structures. You say, Pastor Monty, what is a power structure? A power structure is the traditional home. The traditional home is in the center of the bullseye of the movement to eradicate that. Because the traditional home has a structure that is based upon scripture. And when you think about that, 
You're talking about a movement that really wants to destroy everything the Bible teaches. Well, Pastor Monty, you're, you're standing up there saying this as a white male. I wish we could all get over that. I'm just telling you precisely what the Bible teaches. The pattern in both the Old and the New Testament is a traditional family structure. And when we reject that, and by the way, that doesn't always look the same for every couple. It's not, it's not, it's not what you call a cookie-cutter situation. But when we reject that traditional family structure and refer to it as a power structure, we buy into our culture for ultimately the undermining of the home. Pastor Monty, this is the guys talking. Pastor Monty, you're making me nervous right now. Listen, if, if you're nervous right now, gentlemen, you're part of the problem. The good news is the Bible gives us a better way. What, what should we do? What should we do? And what do I desire for our young people in, in this day and time? I believe that we should embrace the glory of femininity as revealed in Scripture. That's what I believe. There is a glory, ladies, in who God made you to be that cannot be equaled or matched by any other person or thing in the world. It's time for us to embrace the glory of femininity revealed in Scripture. And really, the best picture of this is Proverbs 31, the virtuous woman. Now, everybody listen to what I'm going to say. I'm going out on a limb. Do you know there's been a social reaction to the extreme feminism of our day? There is a movement, and you need to listen carefully. There's a movement. It is burgeoning, not huge, but it is burgeoning called the Trad Wife Movement. Trad, T-R-A-D. Has anyone seen, heard of this? Okay, a handful of you have heard of this. I, I kind of like it. You say, Pastor Monty, what is it? It's ladies, and by the way, it didn't start in an independent, fundamental, soul-winning, separated, King James-only Baptist church. It did not start that way. It started among secular ladies who decided that they were tired of being criticized for opting and choosing a traditional marriage. Now, in America, you should, by the way, it was initially a British movement. In America, you should have the right to choose, okay? That's part of our American freedoms. But the feminist movement is telling us that women should not choose that, cannot choose that. It should be eliminated because it is fundamentally harmful. So the feminist movement itself now is limiting the choices of women. So what, what have these traditional wives done? You can look it up online later, not during the sermon, folks, but look it up online later. I, I think it's really kind of cute. I think it's kind of cute. Uh, they, they talk about in their postings online about how they, they, they reorganize their pantry, and then they show this picture of this amazing pantry. You know what? I, I really would like to hire... But anyway, <laughs> amazing. Or, or they show themselves holding this pie... And it's beautiful. And by the way, who doesn't like a good pie? You'd be crazy not to like a good pie. Pie beats cake all day long. And they, they pose in these pictures. Well, Pastor Monty, by the way, they dress like June Cleaver, okay? That's, that's, that's kind of how they dress. It's a thing. It's a social thing, okay? I know some of you guys are like, what? Yeah, it's just a social thing, okay? But they're trying to give some pushback to the idea that femininity is wrong. They're saying, no, 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 femininity is not wrong. Femininity is what I'm embracing. And I'm choosing, not being forced to, but I am choosing a traditional style home over what has taken place in our culture. And I think it would be interesting. Wow. Just so you know, I didn't approve that slide, but <laughs> just joking. There we go. But yeah, thank you. Whew. Okay. 
Sermon ruined by the slideshow. Okay. Now, now what does the Bible say? I think it's great in, in our roles in modern America, I think it's great for Christian people to embrace femininity. And what does that look like? Let me give you uh, some quick points. Number one, we'll give them to you from the Bible. Number one, she compliments her husband in his role. Look, if you will, at Proverbs 31, verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. She's rare. If she was rare in Bible times, she's even more rare today. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. Spoil means a windfall of money. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Do you know the Bible teaches? She is absolutely essential to his success. Now I'm focusing on married couples here this morning. Understand that. But she is necessary to his success. God said in Genesis 2, 18 through 25, summarizing creation, he said, it is not good that a man should be alone. So someone said, oh, Pastor Monty, I'm just, I'm just the tag along. No, no, no. You're absolutely necessary, okay? A, po- a battery to work has to have a positive and a negative post. You cannot have two of the same. You cannot have just one. And for things to work out, she compliments her husband in his role, okay? God's given me certain things to do. I am incapable of doing those things apart from my wife, apart from the pairing with my wife. She is absolutely necessary. She is, number two, a partner in my success. We're partnered together. Well, Pastor Ron, you know, um, I'm just competing with my husband in this, this, this. There's no competition. The idea of competition is something that the devil throws into our pathway so that all of a sudden he can break us up. But when we're working together toward a common goal, when we're, as they say today, on the same page, then my wife is my partner in my success. She's my helpmeet, according to the book of Genesis. That The words there mean a suitable helper. She's not a competitor. God says she's going to be trustworthy, verse number 11. Verse number 12 says she's supportive. She always helps and never harms. Now, you say, Pastor Ronnie, that's talking very idealistically. I want every eye up here. I know that. But we're given an ideal so that we can shoot for it. No marriage in this room, including yours truly, no marriage in this room is perfect. But God gives us an ideal. And he says that our, our wives complement our husband in their role. They're not competitive. We're not against one another. We're not involved in a one-upmanship with one another. That's a very dangerous thing to get in, involved in in marriage. But we complement each other. So I would encourage our ladies to embrace the importance of what God has made you to do. It's vital. It's vital. Let me say this from personal experience. I did not grow up in a Christian home, but our home was traditional in the way that it functioned, okay? My, my parents didn't know the Bible. They knew nothing about the Bible, but dad was World War II. They were that generation, so it was very traditional in how it functioned, okay? My mother, a moment ago I said this, my mother was my rock. My dad worked two jobs. He was a public school teacher by day, and then he parked cars at the Guthrie Theater parking lot in downtown Minneapolis by night. He worked two jobs. My dad was at home. We always had supper together, by the way, as a family. My dad was at home a lot. But who was the person who had the greatest influence on my life? Let me be clear. It was my mother. Who is the person who, after dad's death in 1979, wiped the tears from her eyes 
went back to work to support us. She was a stay-at-home mom, not because of a conviction. She didn't have a Bible conviction or anything. She didn't know. She was just, my dad wanted it that way because they were traditional. Who was the person who wiped her tears from her eyes and went back after, after 12 years or 14 years of not doing it, went back to be a secretary at Honeywell? It was my mom. Who was the person who put her arm around me when I didn't have a father to turn to and her, who did her dead level best to take his place? It was my mom. Who is a person who manifested unbelievable strength in the midst of absolute family calamity? It was my mom. And all through their marriage, they complimented each other. And when dad passed away, she took the reins. And she did a phenomenal job. Ladies, look at me. There's nothing secondary about exalting femininity. There's nothing weak about exalting femininity. My mother probably is the strongest woman that I have ever known. And I know way more of the story that I'm willing to share in the pulpit. My mother's probably the strongest woman that I've ever known. And she embraced that. And she compliments. Scripture says she compliments her husband. Number two, number two, she joyfully pursues the happiness of her household. Now look at verse number 13. The Bible uses what we consider to be archaic words, but it says she seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. In other words, she's diligent in the domestic arts of the home. She is like the merchant's ship. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. So she's very diligent about taking care of... By the way, being a mom, being traditional... Yes, Pastor Monty, you're suggesting women shouldn't work. I didn't say that. But I said, being traditional, it's really hard work. Any man in this room who thinks the wife has it easy, you're crazy. It's super, super hard work. She considered the field. This is, by the way, this demonstrates how valuable her input is in the home. She considered the field. She buyeth it with the fruit of her hand. She planteth a vineyard. All of those things talk about her joyfully pursuing the happiness of her household. She provides for the domestic necessities. She understands that family comes first. This is a big, big job today. We dare not shelve this. It's really important. It's really the most important job. You say, why is that? Well, I'm going to give you two common sayings. Number one, how many know an army marches on its stomach? It sure does. You know, there's nothing more valuable in a home than the family coming together and enjoying a meal together. I know, I know. I know this is hopelessly outdated, but there's something very powerful about that. And while this might be old-fashioned, it was the way that I was reared. And I look back on that and how special that was and how impactful that was, how interesting it was at times. I look back on all of that and understand my mom joyfully did these things to provide for the household. That's saying, number one, the army marches on its stomach. Saying, number two, is this, and this is absolutely, absolutely true. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Okay, Pastor Monty, who was your greatest influence in your life? It wasn't my father. Not, and not just because he passed away when I was 12 years old. It wasn't my father. And I'm not the, the influence of dad. Come back tonight. We're going to talk about that. It wasn't my father. It was my mother. The thinking, even the vocabulary that comes out of my mouth, the sayings and these things, because dad was gone so much of the time, all of that is an imprint of my mother. This was incredibly difficult work. 
and incredibly important work. My mother, and God placed in the hearts of moms this, this real desire to help mold and influence and strengthen, to help protect children. Those are God-given instincts, okay? We thank God for that. They're not the natural instincts of men. Women naturally are caregivers. These are not the natural instincts of men. It is an incredibly important job. It is vital. I will say this, without this being done adequately across the board, it is my prediction that our society will collapse. Without the gracious, generous, kind influence of moms, our society will collapse. Domestic work is not demeaning work. It is the glory of God in the home. It is every bit as vital as anything that a man does. It is every bit as valuable. Don't buy the, levels, the devil's lie of dissatisfaction. Don't buy into that in our time. I want to give you number three, and I think this is very important. So, number one, she, she compliments her husband in his role. Number two, she joyfully pursues the happiness of her household. Number three, she maintains her feminine beauty and attractiveness. Oh, Pastor Monty, now wait a minute, that sounded sexist. No, no, please look at your Bible. I want you to look at your Bible. Proverbs 31, verse 17, look what the Bible says. The virtuous woman girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. Drop down to verse number 21. She is not afraid of the snow, bad weather, for her household. For all her household are clothed with scarlet. By the way, the most expensive and fancy of clothing available that day. Verse 22. She maketh herself. Now I want you to focus on this. She maketh herself, that is for her own wearing. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry her clothing is silk and purple. Pa- but Pastor, what, what makes that virtuous? Because she wanted to maintain femininity and attractiveness. Now, I want everyone to listen carefully. Oh, Pastor Monty, you're about to tell us how to dress. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. But I'm going to suggest this. Given the feminine role, it's a very good thing when ladies embrace that and allow their natural beauty to shine through. It's a very good thing. Oh, Pastor Monty, then, then if, if, we're gonna, if you're going to do this, you need to give me 10 dress code rules. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Don't ask me to do it. I'm not doing it. I, that, that's crazy. would never do that. But you know what I would suggest? I would suggest that at first glance, when a stranger sees you at first glance, they should be able to tell you're a woman. I think that's a real simple like way to go, right? And by the way, gentlemen, gentlemen, the same goes for you. At first glance, when someone looks at you, they shouldn't have to say, is that a guy or a girl? Okay, if, 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 if they do, that's a problem. Okay, that's a problem. How many have been, how many in public somewhere saw someone and you faced that conundrum? Wow, wow, almost every hand in this place, okay? Where, and I remember going, to a, going up to a cashier, and I, I studied it out as carefully as I could without being obnoxious. And I remember I still walked away scratching my head. <laughs> you know you've had the same experience, right? Okay. I, I think there's something beautiful. In it. Now, gentlemen, having said that, that means you're going to provide the money for her to be beautiful. Okay. How many ladies know it costs some money? 
Yeah, it sure does, okay? We're going to provide the money for that. The, the Proverbs 31 woman, she rightly views her feminine appeal as an advantage. And it's a good thing. She is fashionable, according to verse 22. I, I, I don't, when women dress dowdy because they're spiritual, you know what the word dowdy means, right? When women dress dowdy because they're spiritual, that's not spiritual, okay? That actually detracts from the message of the gospel. I think women can be both modest and fashionable at the same time. What does modest mean? It means closet cover and do not cling. That's all it means. You could write that down. Close it, cover, and do not cling. Uh, there is something that is very feminine about the description of her attire being silk and purple. In other words, she was not trying to look like a man. She was both modest and appealing. She exalted gender distinction. She didn't want to blur it. Now, having said all of that, he said, Pastor Monty, there's so much more, and I, I can't go through the whole chapter with you, but those three things I'm giving you this morning. You say, Pastor, what is the result of it? Watch what the result is. We're embracing who God made us to be. And we're loving that part of who God made us to be. We're embracing that. And we're saying, this is what God made me, and I'm proud of that. Because I really believe in my heart that we should be, and I'm using the word pride not in an unbiblical sense, but proud and thankful of who God made us to be. And I have certain roles and very heavy responsibilities I'll be dealing with tonight. And ladies have certain roles and responsibilities as well. And when we embrace those, the home works. What is is the result of all this? Look at verse number 28. What is the result? The Bible says, her children rise up and call her blessed. My parents weren't perfect. Had a lot of issues. But one thing I can tell you is, I bless my mom. Or you say, Pastor Monty, you didn't grow up in a Christian home. No, she got saved later. But I blessed the ground my mother walked on. I look back now as an adult. I never would have seen this as a kid. I look back now as an adult and I say, what an amazing woman. She embraced the responsibilities that God had given her. And look what it says, not only her children, her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Why? Because without her, he would be nothing. Without her, he could not succeed. Without her, there would be a void in his life as vast as the ocean. And when we embrace what Scripture teaches, and we reject this culture, we reject this culture. And by the way, men, we're going to deal with you all tonight. You're not off the hook, so just try to be here. But when we embrace this culture, we get in trouble every time. I know what I've said is not popular, and I know that what I said could be ripped apart from stem to stern, but I do feel like it's Bible. And I feel like if we embrace these things and love these things, I feel like somehow God will preserve us, maybe just a little island in the sea of insanity, right? But God will preserve us as we obey him. And here's the answer. There's no better formula than the book I hold in my hand no better formula. I can't improve upon it. I dare not change it or alter it. And how awful it would be if I caved into society on this. Embrace who you are because ladies, God gave you a glory beyond anything else. He looked at man, good old Adam, bumbling around in the garden, looking for a TV and a refrigerator. (laughs) I know what Adam was like. And God said, it is not good that man should be alone. God said, I'm going to take that rib. 
out of Adam's side, and I'm going to make a helpmeet that will be similar to him in so many ways, and that will be different from him because this is what he needs. Father, I pray you'll take our message today. Help us, Lord, to look upon these things with seriousness as they are from the pages of Scripture. And I pray, Father, that you would give us all a willingness to, in our own way, whatever this means to us as individuals, to seek to live up to an ideal that is not always easy, especially in our day and time. But, Lord, that is good. And I pray, Father, your blessing now upon your word. Speak to every heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Stand with me, please, everyone standing together.